Blind Parent Connection. Supported by the Gibney Foundation and brought to you by the National Federation of the Blind. Hello, listeners. Welcome to the Blind Parents Connection. This is Anil Lewis, and I'm here with David Dino Terrace. We're here talking about all of the things that make blind parents capable of being really good parents to their children. Uh, being two blind dads, showing the world uh, how blind people can be capable parents. Of course, we're doing that with the assistance of many of our members throughout the National Federation of the Blind through interviews that David conducted over many, many months. And we're going to be sharing with you today. But before we get into the podcast, let me again express our sincere appreciation to the Gibney Foundation, without whom support we would not be able to conduct the podcast. And again, uh, the Gibney Foundation is a family foundation, and we in the National Federation of the Blind consider ourselves a family. Uh, so it's a very good win-win. Uh, today we're talking about doing household chores and cooking and cleaning, etc. That's some great interviews with parents talking about the different chores and strategies and techniques that they use to educate and inform their kids to help them to be the best they can be. And we know that kids are more successful when they do chores. So there's a, this is going to be a really <laughs> exciting program. <laughs> I know as a kid, I didn't think I'd be more successful because I do tours. The interesting piece that, that I find is most people, of course, think that blind people should be taken care of, that we're the beneficiaries of everyone else's goodwill. So it's really interesting um, looking at society's expectations for the blind person to actually be responsible for the things we're talking about today. So I know that this will probably be enlightening not only for our listeners that are blind parents, but also just the general society who may have low expectations about our capacity to be fully participating members in society and taking care of the fundamental responsibilities of cooking and cleaning for a household. Why don't we just jump into it, and we've got some great interviews to listen to. Yeah, I know we're talking about those three key components up in the front, uh, about the attitudes and the expectations and the necessary for training. So let's listen to the first interview from Micah. The first most important thing is having a positive attitude about your blindness and you know, knowing who you are and knowing that your blindness is not the factor, you know, that will determine whether you're successful as a parent or as, as anything you want to be in your life. You know, certainly blindness plays a piece of it, but it's not, it's not the determining factor. So that's, that's the mindset. Uh, Anil, I think back to Dr. Journey in one of his old speeches, philosophy bakes no bread without uh, philosophy, no bread would be baked. And uh, certainly having a, a positive philosophy about who you are and knowing it's respectable to be blind, that's a great starting point. Our next piece, Anil, is Hilda, and she talks about her parents and, and high expectations. I love the thought that no one will rise to a low expectation, and, and uh, even though Hilda was blind, her parents had some high expectations for her. Let's give that a listen. My parents did not know, and they still don't know any English. For some reason, they've been living here for many, many years, and they haven't learned the language. They understand some of it, but they're not able to speak it, so... When I was born and they found out that I was blind, you know, it was a shock to them because no one in my family is blind. I'm the first person to be blind in this family. And getting the information, access to the information was extremely hard for them. Fortunately, they always encountered social workers and counselors who did a great job of guiding them. And the number one advice that they got is treat her like you would treat your other son because I had one other brother at that time. And that's what my parents did, especially my mother. My parents got divorced when I was nine years old, so my mother has always had that ad attitude of expecting the same or more from me than my brothers. I love it that both the previous interviews highlight the positive attitude that's necessary and the high expectations that are necessary. 
and all that kind of emerges when you get the proper training. And I think that Lakeisha in the next segment really talks about how important training is with respect to adopting that internal uh, fortitude to move forward with accepting these fundamental responsibilities. I was fortunate to have training at the Louisiana Center for the Blind. And while there, I, I learned how to clean. I learned how to cook. And so um, at the time, <laughs> I wasn't a mom, so I was, you know, learning how to cook and how to clean for myself um, and how to wash laundry. But it it helped me when I became a mom because I know what things not to do or what things that I need to do in order to cook safely. And I know how to make sure to how to make sure a surface is clean by rubbing my hand across the surface to make sure there isn't anything on it. And I I know how to separate my clothes by colors if I need to create different piles for laundry. So going to training actually helped me a lot because before training I I was cleaning and I was I was cooking but I wasn't doing it non visually. Um I do have some vision very little vision. But I wasn't cleaning and cooking non visually and so I when I went to training I learned how to cook without looking down at the pot to make sure like the cranberry meat isn't sinking anymore. I learned how to feel the texture of the meat to make sure it was completely done. I learned how to like I said, run my hands across the surface to make sure there weren't any specks of dirt. And I learned how to to wash. I I label my washer and my dryer to make sure that they're on the right setting. I use tactile dots to make sure that I have them on the correct setting to make sure that they're clean and that they're dried correctly. So training was a big part of my independence. Three really Great uh, thoughts by Micah, by Hilda, and by Lakeisha. Having a positive philosophy will help us in in all the areas of our life. And now we're going to move on to to Patty, who's going to share some ideas about the importance of being organized. Let's give that a listen. You've got to have a system for labeling things. I used a couple of different ones. I would use Braille or IMO tape with that. I mean, you need somehow that you can whether it's labeling food containers, whether it's labeling medicines, whether it's trying to figure out you know, what clothes are where, you need some system for labeling. And I think you really have to have somebody that you can call and ask these questions of. I mean, I love the fact that we're doing these podcasts because you know, new parents are always scared, but new parents who need to also learn non-visual techniques, they're not going to usually learn them from their mom or their dad. They're going right. to have to learn them from another blind person. I mean, I can't stress enough that you really need need to think through how you're physically going to do stuff. Patty stressed the reason that we're doing the podcast is the best way to learn how to do things non-visually is to learn from individuals who've done it non-visually. And I think that the Blind Parents Connection is really doing a good job of educating blind parents on the tools and strategies they need in order to be successful blind parents. We could have a philosophy and we can have high expectations. It's crucial that we have great mentors and that's uh, what I found in the National Federation of the Blind is people who their hindsight could be my foresight. I want to go where they've been and uh, help me understand how, how they were able to overcome some of those challenging barriers and be successful. And just like some of the other areas that we've talked about demonstrating how blind people can be good parents, it's a mix between that fundamental skill set that blind people need to possess and the use of technology. And I think Briley starts us down that path of talking about the way that Braille and technology complement one another? First, I'm not naturally a super organized person. I think people have 
Sometimes sighted people have the perception that you have to be more organized when you're blind so you don't lose things. And I have found that I, as a person with an artist personality, and I don't tend to be naturally the most organized person. If my mother is listening, she would definitely agree with that statement. (laughs) (laughs) Which even though I'm 32 years old, she still enjoys reminding me of when she visits. But that's fine because I love her very much. She's a good mom, but... Uh, But yeah, I did not get that gene. I did not inherit the organization gene. But some tips that do help are um, Braille is super important, particularly, you know, when I'm in my kitchen, my spices are labeled and I use Braille in that sort of context or medicines, I Braille label also. Um, I use a lot of apps on my phone. I have an iPhone sure, that has a built-in screen reader called voiceover. Um, and so I use that quite a bit. So seeing AI, I don't always get around to braille labeling things when I should. And so I often will use seeing AI, which is a free Love app, it. to help identify things like a spice if I forget what it is, to identify money, sometimes products because the barcode scanner is relatively decent. So I'll use that. I also have Ira which is a visual interpreter service that you pay for. Um, And so I do find myself using that quite a bit to maybe organize mail or read directions on a package. Sometimes it's faster and a little bit more efficient. If I forget what color something is or what graphic is on one of my son's T-shirts, but I'll use Ira for that. Well, Briley shared some great ideas and some techniques there that she uses. Moving on, Anil, to our next segment, we talk to Micah, and she shares some really important thoughts on being organized. Let's give that a listen. My wife would laugh, but <laughs> I, I do think organized, being organized is important. Um, I'm not the most organized person in the whole world. I, I should be better about that, but definitely knowing where the important things are, where the, our medicine cabinet is probably the thing that is the most organized in our house because that's, that's important. Making sure that you know I know where everything is in the baby's room. I helped set up the baby's room. You know, I didn't want to not know where diapers were or not know where the syringe was or not know where the thermometer is or whatever. So making sure that you as a blind parent, especially if your partner is sighted, you're playing an active role in in organizing things and putting things where they go. Uh, and I think encouraging your kids to do that as much as possible is is great too. I find Braille to be useful. And, and I'll say I'm a person that didn't learn Braille as a young kid. I didn't learn it till middle school. Um, I didn't learn it in high school, so I'm not the fastest Braille reader out there, but I still use it for labeling and for um, getting information, and it's for me, it's it's very useful. I do also have some vision, so I just say that to say that just because you have vision doesn't mean you shouldn't read Braille. Again, she's highlighting how important Braille is, that fundamental skill of literacy it is uh, for blind individuals to really take responsibility for our jobs and our tasks. I find it interesting, though, that each and every one of the last three interviewees uh, talked about how they're not organized. And I know that it's a common misconception that blind people are very organized. Uh, So having everything in this place is important, but there are tools that you can use to make sure that you, even though you're not organized, can still appear organized. People would say, oh, you must remember where everything is. And I well, I I try to remember where I, I, I put things, you know, like goes with like. We try to put like things together, but staying organized. But, you know, th- people move things. 
So what mm-hmm. are some of the techniques that we can use, you know, Braille labels or apps on our phone to make sure that we're opening the right uh, can or box or administering the right medicine or opening the right document? Yeah. Yep. And part of being organized is knowing when to get things done and when things occur. And Eric shares a really interesting strategy about uh, syncing calendars with the rest of his family. Oh, let's give that a listen. Good tip. It can really be daunting at times for any family. In fact, my wife, Crystal, is, I mean, she's just a wonderful person. She's been putting up with me now for over 17 years, and that alone is, is something. Yeah. Uh, but she keeps, with the, with the power of iOS and Outlook and these things, she keeps um, a calendar. So, of course, we each have our respective work calendars on our devices, but we also have a family calendar. And thank goodness that she keeps up with this. And I would encourage folks to use that to stay organized. Um, because they're just, especially as your kids get into more events, and even for folks who are expecting, um, just keeping track of medical appointments, and then as your 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 child is uh, arrives on the scene, keeping track of uh, need for shots or picking up meds or any number of things. Staying organized is so crucial, and knowing what's coming so that you don't it doesn't ambush you. So again, I use those apps and other apps quite a bit. I talked about uh, the use of uh, messaging apps to plan rides and uh, play dates. My kids don't really have play dates anymore, but birthday parties or different other uh, school or civic functions. And so I use that quite a bit. I use low-tech solutions as well. Sometimes hard copy Braille is preferred, uh, whether it be for labeling things. I have labels um, on file folders. And uh, one piece of advice that a lot of folks don't think about, if you have hanging file folders, you put the Braille on upside down so that as you're reading it, you read from above, and so you read it in that way. And so I use Braille to label different things around the house. The uh, organizing tools, I have a specific system that works for me, the flathead screwdrivers and the Phillips head screwdrivers and the different types of wrenches and pliers, et cetera, that I have in my collection, uh, in my arsenal, if you will. Um, I have <laughs> I have organized uh, in a way that works for me. Again, that organization system might not work for anybody else, but it works for me. Technology is not the end-all, be-all in terms of making every difficulty go away, but what it does allow for is to be paired with your problem-solving ability and your adaptability to make things happen. I love the point that Eric makes about what works for him may not work for everyone else, and I think that's one of the keys. You have to customize your solutions, right, to find a, a way that works for you and that works successfully. Someone, you know, gave me a tip one time, you know, for for Braille is, you know, sighted people use uh, little bullets or dots to help them or stay organized on a page. And I use dots three, six to create little bullets on a page to help me, you know, get organized and things like that. So it just other techniques and strategies that can help you stay organized is is um, it's a little thing that can make a big difference. Yeah. And Ashley shares some customized strategies that she uses for being organized. Keeping items on the, you know, organized by category in the pantry, um, and obviously cans and boxes feel very different. So you know, there's a, a way to know as well. I'm gonna, if I'm opening a box of something, it's pretty safe to say that it's not, you know, canned carrots. There's lots of ways to label cans or boxes. You know, there's Braille labelers. There's the uh, barcode scan scanner. Um, apps. So there's multiple ways. And I'll be honest, at times my husband is sighted, so I have frankly just asked him. So David, once you've implemented all the strategies to make sure your kitchen's all organized and labeled and everything, now it's time to get down and do some cooking. Oh, 
Oh, I, I love to I love to cook and I love to eat, Anil. Well, <laughs> I love both too. I yeah. didn't realize I loved to cook until I actually got some training and learned the non visual skills that really allowed me to do it and it it became fun. People always wonder, Neil, how do you know that the the food is cooked and how do you know it's safe? And so there's some great ideas and straight great strategies we're excited to share. Well let's start with Lisa Maria and her picky eaters. I've always loved cooking, so cooking was not a problem for me. (laughs) If anything, the challenge is getting your kids to eat whatever it is you cook. Um, And they were a lot more into eating whatever mom put in front of them as babies. Now they're a lot more pickier. (laughs) So the challenge is trying to feed a two, a four, and an eight-year-old something that they all would like to eat. We know it's challenging to uh, cook for a two-year-old, a four-year-old, and an eight-year-old. But Louise, you know, she's not afraid to try different things, Anil, and and that's really important. You know, uh, we we can't always eat microwave stuff, or we can't always be just getting takeout or things like that. Well, we can. It's just real (laughs) expensive, and it's not always good for us. I guess. So, well, you don't sound very convinced, but take her advice, Anil. Maybe you try some different things. Well, my family will tell you that I'm not the greatest cook in the world, but I'm not afraid to to whip up some dinner, be it of any description. We have a few family favorites, but but yeah, I I think part of it is just not being afraid to try. Getting some, you know, I use Jaws on my computer, and I often look up recipes there and trying to learn what I can about cooking and then just doing a little experimentation, asking friends what they're cooking for dinner. And, you know, there are some alternative techniques, but for the most part, cooking is is cooking. (laughs) I love that. Cooking is cooking. But her advice is the best advice. You know, don't be afraid. And I love the fact that she has this readily assembled group of beta testers, meaning her family, <laughs> to test her latest and greatest creation. But that's really good. Don't be afraid. Try new things and learn from other blind individuals. And she talked about the non-visual techniques. And I think that the next couple of interviews really highlight a lot of those non-visual techniques that blind people use in order to cook. Ashley has some good ideas for us. Let's give that a listen. You can tell a lot about food just by uh, what you feel through the wooden spoon or the, through the spatula. If you're mixing, the texture is going to change as you're mixing and consistency is going to change. And next, Patty offers some examples of non-visual skills that she uses to cook. Let me confess one thing. I'm not the best cook in the family. My husband. Okay. Uh, I do do most of the cooking now because I work from home. But there are lots of techniques you can use. I mean, you, you know, keep your hands clean. Sometimes, you, depending on what it is, you can get texture. You know, if you're making some cornbread... Stick a fork in the middle, and if it comes out gooey, then it's probably not done. When you're cooking eggs, not to touch the egg, but when you when you flip it or you stir it, you can tell if it's done. Some things you can smell when they're done. <laughs> and there's always, you know, they're talking meat thermometers. I have not generally used those, but there are lots of cooking aids that people can look into. Very good. Uh, keeping your hands clean, very good advice. But Melissa, she really uh, shares something that I I really like. It's it's you can't be afraid to you know get your get your hands in there and to get your hands dirty. 
You've got to make sure your hands are clean, but you can't be afraid to get them dirty either. <laughs> Let's see what Melissa's got to say. She's always got good advice. Cooking is such a great exercise for kids, and getting your kids involved with cooking is wonderful if they enjoy that. And, yeah, counting and measuring and even just having your kids playing with pots and pans or things, you know, and pretending to cook is great. As far as how blind people do it, we use our hands a lot. Um, again, we wash them a lot and we use them a lot. And you can tell, for example, when meat is cooked because even if it's very hot, you can tap on it with your fingertips quickly. And you can tell a lot just from tapping on it. You know, the texture of meat changes as it cooks. And you can tell whether it's, you know, ready or whether you need a little bit more time with it. Um, if you're frying something, it sizzles differently when it's raw than when it is getting done, getting close. And, of course, it smells different. I mean, you can, you can certainly use that as well, particularly when you're frying, you know, meat, hamburger, ground turkey, whatever it is that you fry. Measuring, you know, you have to make sure that the cup is full, that it's all the way filled to the top. Cookbooks, I have Braille cookbooks, Braille recipes. I Braille a lot of the ingredients in the kitchen. Gosh, I mean, I don't know. It's just, I guess, batter and things. You know, if I, if I have a question about whether it's mixed, I'll feel it and make sure that it feels mixed. If there's flour or something that still needs to be mixed in, you can tell that just by touching it. Some really good ideas there. One of my first jobs, I worked in a bakery, and I learned that a lot of... Did oh, you wash your hands? I always washed my hands. Good. And uh, one of the things we learned was, you know, a lot of things were, were told by touch. And even, mm-hmm. the, even the bread man, you know, he, he taught me how to make bread. And, you know, and, and it, the consistency's got to feel like this. And if it doesn't feel like this, you've got to add a little more oil. Mm-hmm. If it doesn't feel like this... And so using, uh, using touch is certainly a, a strategy that great cooks use. Yeah, and I love the way you're highlighting that it's not just a non-visual thing. We have five senses, mm-hmm. right? And it's just amazing how people who are really good at what they do, sighted or not, are going to use all five of those senses to the best of their ability to perfect what they're doing. So I, I agree with you. People who are sighted, my grandmother, she could see, she used a lot around what how things smelled and how things touch, felt and how they tasted and and how it sounded, I love Melissa saying it sizzles differently. Yes. So she's right. So I think that you're absolutely right. The skills we're using are not necessarily just substitute skills. They're the alternative skills, but everybody uses them if they're doing their job well. We have several other interviews that kind of highlight various techniques that individuals use to cook as well. Let's hear from Hilda. I guess in the kitchen I use all of my senses, obviously with very clean hands and, you know, making sure. First, I I try to have everything ready for me before I start cooking. I need to know exactly what I'm doing. I get, you know, all of the food, everything I need out on the counter. And once I'm starting to cook, I, I use my sense of smell. Usually you can tell by the smell, obviously, if it's burnt because it's overdone. With the spoon, usually I'm always feeling around the the pan, making sure everything is well done and tasting it. Obviously, I taste it before I even put it on my child's plate. Anila, I liked uh, Hilda's thought, right? Hope is not a strategy, right? She had a plan. She plans out what she has to, the ingredients she's going to use, and she knows where things are going to be. And that just makes the whole cooking process go a lot smoother and and simpler for everyone involved when you have a plan. Yeah, yeah. But I, I love that whole strategy 
<laughs> that everybody who's learning how to cook has uh, learned that when it's burnt, it's probably overdone. Yeah, it's done. Yeah. So yeah. that that's that's a good <laughs> way of framing your your beginning and your end. But then we have some really simple strategies from this next gourmet chef. Uh, Sean talks about cooking for his daughter. I could explain to them. Uh, how I prepare my daughter's food, right? Mm-hmm. You know, my daughter loves hot dogs, right? Mm-hmm. And she loves not not just the, she wants her the hot dogs cut up a certain way, uh-huh. right? And so I I, I quickly use a a, a a good old knife and I slice the hot dogs. Don't underestimate the gourmet quality of beanie weenies. I'm just letting you guys know that that's what I grew up on. That that. It takes a gourmet skill set to prepare those properly. And look how good you turned out. Well, that's what I'm saying, David. Yeah, Thank yeah. you very much. <laughs> Captain Obvious here. Yeah, but there are some cooks out there who can cook more than just hot dogs, and uh, they're pretty darn good at it, too. Anil, Dr. Bell is just an amazing, I don't think you can call him a cook. You might have to call him a chef. And he really enjoys uh, cooking for his family. And and um, I think, uh, listen to this, it might be the one of the best compliments you could ever get. For me personally, one of the things um, that I enjoy doing is, is cooking. Well, I guess I enjoy eating. It's really the big thing. And, and so, so it kind of felt to me that cooking is really my forte. I do most of the cooking at home. And, and I cook just regular standard food, but, but I also really enjoy it. So I'll try to make sure you know, look up recipes and really perfect it. And I guess the biggest compliments compliments that I've received in the last couple of years is my wife and my kids, they don't even want to eat a steak in a restaurant anymore because they, they say my steak is better than anywhere else. And, you know, so many other, so when it's like my kids' birthdays roll around, uh, my oldest is very much a carnivore. And so she wants steak and uh, chicken wings and shrimp, and um, but she'd rather dad cook it than getting at a restaurant. Dr. Bell's family would rather have Dr. Bell cook than go out to a restaurant. It's <laughs> certainly uh, probably a lot better. And uh, well, I, I don't know. That's what happens when you get good at stuff. You know, you, <laughs> if you don't want to do it, be be very very bad at it. So. Well, exactly. Now, now, Anil, now <laughs> he Ed, is really a good cook, though. I have to give Eddie his, his props. He really, I mean, and his cooking on the grill is phenomenal. He has this wonderful breakfast burrito that he makes. I mean, it's just the bomb. Neil, I I love cooking, I love eating, but I got to be honest, my least favorite part is the cleaning up process. Well, that's what's next. Though. So I, I maybe maybe I'll get some good ideas here from some of the some of the guests because uh, certainly this is a real important part. Well, that's one of the advantages. If you cook well, yep, then you don't have to clean up. Correct. Everybody's so grateful, <laughs> you know. Uh, so there you go. But cleaning comes after cooking. Let's see what Jennifer says about keeping things nice and clean. Well, as far as knowing if everything is clean, it's a simple matter of using your hands. I mean, if you take a plate out of the dishwasher and it's got grit on it, then it's not clean and you put it back in to go through again. And, or, or you wash it by hand or, you know, whatever. You don't want to eat off of a dirty plate and you don't want to eat with a dirty fork or drink out of a dirty glass. So it's just a matter of feeling stuff as you put things away. And, you know, I've had that question before and... um I have handed somebody a plate that I, I knew it was dirty and they could see it, but it didn't look dirty. And I said, here, give me your hand. And I would put their hand on it and show it to them tactily. And they say, ooh, that's not clean, is it? So, you know, checking that kind of stuff by touch is often more accurate than using your eyeballs. Anil, I, I found that one of the chores that we assign to our kids is to 
you know, clean up the table and put everything in the sink and and um, get the dishwasher ready. And and then sometimes uh, they would, you know, sweep all the crumbs off the off the table and put them in and then throw them in the garbage. But the table was still sticky. And I would say to my daughter, I said, well, did you feel the table? The table's not clean. She said, everything's cleaned off the table, Dad. There's no crumbs. I said, well, did you feel it? And so, you know, maybe it looks clean, but it certainly didn't feel clean. And so by taking a nice warm washcloth with a little soap and starting the top left-hand corner and coming down and then, you know, doing that in, in patterns, I find that was something that she said, well, I didn't know it wasn't clean. It looked clean, but I didn't feel it. Mm-hmm. I, I was a latchkey kid. Do you know what a latchkey kid is, David? Yes, sir. So my mom, being a single parent, she was usually working by the time we got home, so we right. let ourselves in. So we had to do a lot of cooking and cleaning. And my mom had this rule, you know, we'd rotate, and we'd tell my mom, said, you know, we should get a dishwasher. And she says, well, why would I want to buy one when I have four? Right. So the four of us kids were her <laughs> dishwasher. She had this rule that, you know, it was your night to wash dishes. When she came home, she'd check them out. And if they weren't clean, you'd get woken up in the middle of the night and have to go back down and clean them. And uh, that's exactly how she would bust us. It wasn't a blind thing, but she would pull out a plate or a pan and uh, show us how there was still grease, although it wasn't visible. It was still there. So we learned very early on to use non-visual skills before we went blind. And uh, it's just a matter of introducing those skills to a pre-existing skill set for me when I went blind at 25. So all the things I learned about cleaning, starting from the top, going down to the bottom, you know, wiping, not in circles, but, you know, in a way that makes sure that you push the debris or whatever that you're accumulating away from the surface that you're wiping so you're not putting dirt back in the place that you just washed. And especially when it comes down to cleaning the floor, you know, you want to start in a place and you want to work in a way that makes sure that you're covering all of the surfaces and pushing the debris in the direction in which you're traveling so that once you're done, you can use a dustpan or if you're using a mop or whoever, get that get that up and back into the bucket so that you recognize that the surface is clean. One of the, the students at Louisiana Center, I, I never used this, but I guess if I needed to, I would, but he would actually mop his kitchen barefoot <laughs> so, so that he would be able to feel with his feet the, the texture of the floor, which was really interesting. But as long as my technique works for me, I think I'll still keep my shoes on while I mop. But uh, again, that's just customizing you know, a strategy that fit fits the person. But everyone is not able to really learn all of the strategies to clean as as, as well as, as others. But there is always a way. And uh, I think Hilda shares very honestly uh, a solution that she put in place. Oh, let's give it a listen. Really good. My biggest problem was always sweeping, especially after my child ate, because she liked to throw food on the floor. I think all of the children go through that stage. So whenever my family would come home over, my parent, my mother, or my brothers, they would say, oh, let me use your broom, I need to sweep. And I always felt very bad about that, you know, like, oh, man, you know, I'm not doing a good job. So three weeks ago, two or three weeks ago, we finally purchased a robotic vacuum. And she's doing the job just fine, you know, like, it was expensive, and I had to justify that expense. But I, I think... Number one, it's cleaning things that I, you know, I miss usually because I would sweep and I would miss things and my husband would mop 
and he would throw those things towards, you know, the corners instead of picking them up because he didn't see them, you know. So with that robotic vacuum, it's it's been picking up a lot of things that we have been missing. And our family has been coming to visit, and they're not asking for the broom anymore. So I think it's, it's the floors are cleaner now. And my daughter, I told my daughter that if she touched the robotic, the robot, it was going to eat her hands and feet just to make sure that she wasn't going to run after it and pick it up, you know? Mm-hmm. And whenever she sees that I turn on the robot, she runs but to pick up her toys. So if it's not cleaning good enough, it's doing the job by making my daughter clean her, pick up her toys. Well, there you go, David. Whether it's a will, there's a way, or robotic vacuum cleaner, whatever works. She has come up with some other strategies and techniques that have helped her uh, get the the job done, and that's what it's all about. Yeah, there's a host of other household tasks that we could go down. Uh, we only have limited time for the podcast, though, so let's just let's sample a few. Let's listen to Adelmo talk about some of his other household tasks. I always expected them to to do chores, to do everything just like I had been expected to do. If it was out uh, doing a lawn or whatever or chopping wood or whatever needed to be done, you know, I expected my kids to do it. I was not the type of parent that sat at the couch and just gave my kids orders. I mm. went with them and taught them how to how to do things. Uh, when we were in Shiprock, we had an air conditioner, one of those roof uh, swamp coolers, and I'd get the ladder and set it up and take my cane up there and go up there on the on the roof and take one of my boys to teach them how to fix the air conditioner, how to make it work correctly. And so it was hands-on on everything that, that we did. So Adelmo certainly has high expectations for his kids. He was not going to be a dad who sat on the couch and barked out, Orders, uh, my my dad would say, you know, this, you know, some people are armchair generals. They just give out orders, but they don't they don't do anything. But he was up on the roof. He's helping his kids learn how to do things. He has high expectations for his kids, uh, just like his parents had high expectations for him. And then Anil, Sean, he speaks about the importance of of how his wife has high expectations for him and how he's not going to get any free passes. Let's give that a listen. No pass. Uh, well, let me just say this. Not with my wife. Um, you know, that's <laughs> so, Now, I can't speak for other people's wives, but with my wife, there was it was going to be equal equal, you know, uh sharing of the duties, you know. Um and 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 I thank my wife for even, you know, just you know, having that confidence in me uh yes. to to say, "Okay, honey." I, and and quite honestly, David, and and I really had to sit and think about this. I think I do more from the the chore standpoint, uh, a little more. I'm not saying a lot more, but just a little more uh, than my wife, who is totally sighted. You know, uh, there's no past. You know, she her expectations of me is to care for our child equally, and um, so I'm thankful that there's no fear in her when she says, "Sean, can you take her to school?" I take her to school. Sean, can you pick her up? I pick her up from school. It's a great feeling to know that your wife has that confidence in you. And and quite honestly, I don't think she would have married me if she didn't have confidence. So. I love the fact that he's saying that she wouldn't marry him if she didn't have confidence. God bless her. Yep. But uh, that's, that's a wonderful family. Uh, I love the way that he's very real when he shares, too. So thanks, Sean, for sharing with us on the podcast. 
I think that we've done a really good job as we head here toward this last interview. And I think that it's appropriate, you know, in, in everything that we do, uh, summing it up with not only just the skills and the strategies, but also shifting society's expectations about what we can and cannot do as blind individuals. So I'll leave it to Adelmo to really make the point about how we as blind individuals should really own the responsibility of doing everything that any other parent would do. I used to cut my own wood here with a chainsaw. And people would say, well, you're blind. Well, that's okay. I'm not kind of, you know, I'm using the chainsaw, not my eyes. <laughs> and, uh, you know, people would say, well, that's dangerous. Well, you know what? A chainsaw is dangerous for a sighted person also. So you learn techniques. You learn ways to chop the wood or to do whatever you need. And when someone says a blind person can't do that, it's probably because they've never experienced it. And a blind person who says, I can't, it's because they really haven't experienced doing those things. Anil, I love the quote by Henry Ford. He said, if you think you can or can't, either way, you're right. Mm-hmm. And um, I recall the story a few years ago after a, a real bad storm. Uh, some big, big trees fell down in our yard in, in Hershey, Pennsylvania, and they were blocking uh, the driveway. And so I, I, I had to get out the, the chainsaw, and I got out the chainsaw, and my brother taught me how to use a chainsaw and the proper way to hold it and the proper way to respect it. I was started cutting the wood in, in maybe 18 or 20-inch pieces. And then the the neighbor came over, and he said, David, are you sure this is prudent for you to be doing? And I said, oh, yes, Doc. I said, my brother showed me how to use it. I know how to, I know how to hold the chainsaw. I know how to you know, do that, and it's, um, I can do it. And uh, I said, would you like me to show you how to do it? He says, no, 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 I'll, I'll just watch you. I'm sure he wasn't going to go over to any neighbor and say, hey, are you sure you should be doing that? He came over to me, and, but I was glad I was able to show him that when you have the, the right attitude and philosophy and when you get the right skills and the right training and have high expectations for yourself and others, there's no barrier that you can't break down. There's no obstacle that you can't overcome. And there's no problem that you can't solve. Connect with us. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at NFB underscore voice. And like us on Facebook by searching for National Federation of the Blind. Visit our website at nfb.org or call us at 410-659-9314. This has been the Blind Parents Connection, supported by the Gibney Foundation and brought to you by the National Federation of the Blind.